Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And I believe that it is a safe thing to say that every one of us enjoys receiving a compliment. We all like to have people say nice things about us. And what makes a compliment especially nice is when we know that it is truly warranted. As I look at the gospel accounts and the things that Jesus said, I never find him wasting words. And I suppose that stands to reason. For it was the Lord who said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. Jesus did not deal in flattery or exaggeration. He did not pass out compliments just to have something to say. Yet he did, on several occasions, find things about which to compliment a number of different people. I believe that we should be interested in those traits exhibited in the others that Jesus saw fit to specifically point out and commend. These were things that Jesus recognized as being outstanding traits in each of the individuals, certainly worthy of emulation by us. While it is unquestionably nice to receive compliments from others, indicative of the fact that something we have done or some characteristic of ours is pleasing to them, those compliments cannot compare to being pleasing to the Lord. What traits did Jesus specifically compliment in the Gospel accounts? That is what I want to look at in this episode. Compliments from Jesus. We'll begin by turning to the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, and looking at verses 43 through 47. There we find the next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in who is no guile. Now let's move over one chapter. It's John chapter 2 and read verses 24 and 25. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning a man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus, the Lord, was able to look into the heart of any man and know the thoughts and the intents contained therein. He looked at Nathanael and saw no guile at all there. What is guile? It is deceit, trickery, treachery, and other things of the same nature. But here with Nathaniel was a man who simply was what he was. Everybody received the same face, if I may put it that way. What you saw is what you got, and I like people like that. 
This was a pattern of conduct complemented by the Lord and displayed by him for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-22, Peter wrote, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit or guile found in his mouth. Have you ever known someone that you simply could not trust? Someone whose words was just that, a bunch of sounds floating in the air with no real meaning? Someone who would tell you one thing and then turn around and tell somebody else just the opposite? The Lord expects the same honest candor in us that he saw in Nathanael. Do you remember Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37? Jesus said, Again you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, Make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, and anything beyond these is of evil. The Lord's point was simply this. There should be no need for an oath, because if there is no guile in a person, when he says yes, he means yes. And when he says no, he means no. A man's word should be sufficient. What a compliment to have someone say that person is as honest as the day is long. When he says something, you can count on it. That is the kind of man the Lord complimented, one in whom is found no guile or treachery or deceit. Let's look now at Matthew chapter 8 and consider verses 5 through 10. The passage tells us, And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. There is the compliment. I have not found such great faith. This centurion came with the request that Jesus heal his servant indicating already a belief that Jesus could do it. Many others had shown the same degree of faith, believing that Jesus could heal. This man, however, went further. He believed that distance made no difference as far as the power of Jesus was concerned, and going even further than that, he recognized and acknowledged that it was all a question of authority anyhow, and that everything, including sickness and death, was all under the authority of Jesus. Now then, the great faith that Jesus was moved to compliment and the kind of faith that we must have should be patterned after this centurion. What I mean by that is to believe in the power of Jesus is one thing, to accept his authority is another altogether. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6 verse 46, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's a real good question and one that needs answering. 
in the religious world in general that worships Jesus, there is a lot of believing in his power, but not nearly as much belief in his absolute authority. If there was, there would not be so many who denied the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins, or deny the oneness of the church that Jesus built and purchased with his own blood. There would not be anything like the almost unbelievable variety of worship practices and a host of other things that people, if they had faith in Jesus, in his absolute authority, would not be engaging in. The fact that Jesus said something is sufficient for a person who has the kind of faith of the centurion is amazing. That is what we need to strive for. What a compliment the centurion received. Let's look now at Luke 7, and we will read verses 24 through 28. There the Bible says, And when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the multitudes about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus said, Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. He was speaking there of John the Baptist. What a compliment. What was it that set John apart, and what trait was Jesus truly complimenting? I believe it to have been John's outstanding courage and forthrightness. Many religious leaders will speak smooth things to please the greatest number of people, and when it comes to gaining a following, that works. But it doesn't please the Lord. Many religious leaders wait to see which way the wind is blowing before they come out on a particular subject, and even then many will say, I believe such and such for me, but that's just for me. I can't speak for you. Well, John was not a reed shaken by the wind. He stood by his convictions with courage, even when it cost him his life. But the Lord approved. Without the comforts of a home, without fine clothing, Without sumptuous food, John did the bidding of the Lord. True greatness is not measured by the standards of the world. Jesus said, But the greatest among you shall be your servant, in Matthew 23 and verse 11. And the greatness of John was shown in his service to the Lord. The courage to be right. The courage to do right. The courage to go against the tide of popular opinion to serve God. These are marks of true greatness and how they are needed by our world today. No matter what the consequences, we must seek first to please the Lord. Now we're going to turn over to Mark chapter 12 and look at verses 41 through 44, a beautiful and very special event. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, 
out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Our Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive, and in a certain way, our devotion to the Lord is measured by our giving. And it is still true that God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. As the wealthy can cast in their great amounts, Jesus pointed to the giving of a woman who had only a very little bit, and then spoke of her generosity. It is not difficult to give what can be easily spared. The true test of giving was stated so very aptly by David in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24. He stated, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. This calls to mind 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5. through 5. Paul wrote, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty and for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. That woman had so very little, and she gave so very much. That kind of giving, complimented so highly by the Lord, really does require that one has first given themselves to God. Finally, let's go to Matthew chapter 15 and look at verses 22 through 28. We find, And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for she is shouting out after us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Jesus commended the faith of this woman, but that faith was rooted in her profound humility. Far too many want to dictate the terms of their service to Christ and his to them. But not this woman. This woman had a need and saw no insult in what the Lord said to her. Her humility sought a way to gain the blessing she needed, and she did. We are told in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, in beautiful words, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Only that kind of attitude can make us acceptable to God. We cannot say, Lord, save me, and here are my terms for you to do it. Jesus said, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has not believed shall be condemned. Many refuse that. 
Why? Could it be because they lack humility? It doesn't matter what the Lord requires of us. Our attitude must be that of the Canaanite woman. Accept anything the Lord says, meet every condition he gives, and be grateful for the blessings he so abundantly bestows. Never be too proud to bow ourselves to Jesus. No guile, great faith, great courage, generosity, and humility. These are some traits which Jesus saw and complimented. They are traits that we need to make certain he sees in us as well. I hope you've been benefited from this. Thanks for listening.